So let's open up in prayer, if we would please. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are great. We are grateful that you have a plan, and that plan is for the world's redemption. And in forethought, you saw to send your Son as a Redeemer, as a Savior, as a propitiation for us, Lord God, who are hopeless and helpless and enemies of you. Thank you for your Son. Lord, thank you for taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your dear Son. As you call us by name, as you redeemed us, as you set our feet on the rock of Jesus Christ. Father, as we come before you today, we do so in humility and in hope that you would open up our ears, open up our eyes, soften our heart, Father God, that we, not, that we might not be um, bullheaded, that we might not be stiff-necked, and that our eyes might be open unto your glorious light and to the things that you would have for us. Holy Spirit, come. Speak clearly through me, I pray. Speak through your word. Challenge us, encourage us, comfort us, confront us, but change us, change us, change us into the image of your dear Son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week you guys had a guest speaker, Joseph, who talked of love and his love for, his, for Mary, his soon-to-be bride. Uh, this week we're going to have another guest speaker, and uh, this week's subject is joy. If you have a Bible and you'd be uh, turned to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, we'll be reading. So I'll give you a second to turn to your Bibles. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The scriptures say, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Okay. You know what? For those of you guys who just got your Bibles, we're going to start over, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Sorry about that. I, I forgot to mention that. Okay, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let's start again. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I got a question for you guys. What was the joy that was set before him that he would not only be willing to go to the cross and suffer the physical torment of the cross, but that would give him the power to become that which the Trinity despised. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So picture the Trinity and the relationship that they have. And Jesus is not only removed from that relationship, but he took on the very form, the very nature. He embodied sin. The thing that the Father despised, the thing that Jesus despised, he became. So what was that joy that was set before him that he'd be willing to do that? We'll answer that a little bit later. But first, let's see if we can get a working definition of of joy. As I was listening to some tapes by John MacArthur, he brought up a comparison, and he used the word happiness. And as we think of happiness, John MacArthur said that it's it's based on happenstance. It's based on happenings. It's all circumstantially based. If I'm making money, if I've got my health, if everything's going cool, I'm happy. It ebbs and flows circumstantially. But all of a sudden when things change, my happiness is gone. And so it's a real fleeting thing. Joy, on the other hand, is not based on circumstance. The Bible says very clearly that joy is a characteristic of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer today, you have that Holy Spirit residing in you along with that gift of joy. And that gift of joy, because it's from God, is potentially incorruptible. So I want you guys to remember two things as we're going through this. The question of what was the joy that was set before him, and thinking about the potentiality of the joy in you being incorruptible. My name is Isaiah. I'm a husband and the father of two sons. One of my son's names is Shir Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. God called me to prophesy in Judah during the reign of four different kings over the land of Judah over a period of more than 50 years in length. Jerusalem was a divided nation with Judah and Israel making it up. Under the first three kings of my lifetime, Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, Judah floundered. Only when King Hezekiah came did I have any hope, albeit slight, that my kinsmen, that Judah, would once again repent and turn and follow the Lord. Hezekiah pulled down the idolatrous altars of false gods. He encouraged the people of the community to turn to Yahweh, the one true God. And God was gracious to us. Hezekiah became deathly ill, and Hezekiah turned to the Lord, and the Lord was gracious and healed him and gave him 15 years longer life. I think in your modernistic terms, you might call me um, a prophet of grace and truth. As the Lord called, as Yahweh called me to preach a gospel that was confronting, but also potentially comforting to my kinsmen. My calling from Yahweh was in my mind quite paradoxical. He called me to confront my, kin, my kinsmen about their continued idolatry, their adultery, 
and their meaningless ritualism. Yet Yahweh made it very clear to me that my uh, people, his chosen people, would not listen to my message and that they would continue in their rebellious ways regardless of what I said. Now, if you would indulge me for a moment, as I'd like you guys to understand, as it were, what it would be like to walk in my sandals. Now, I know that there's a young man in this congregation, in this synagogue, who's a map maker. Now, envision with me if every morning when he went to make maps, he knew that his dividers, his compasses, his measuring tools were all askew. South was north, east was west, and his measurements were all wrong. So every map that he made to give to the mayor of this fine city was corrupt. I know that you guys have a number of physicians in this synagogue. Can you imagine getting up every morning knowing that the people that you went to treat would not only not listen to you and take medicines or herbs that you gave them or exercises or quit the things that were bringing them to the point of needing medical help, but just the opposite. They would continue to choose the things that brought destruction to them. Or lastly, probably the best example, you've got a couple of rabbis here. How would those rabbis feel if every morning they woke up to come share the truth of the Holy Scriptures with you They knew that you would nod your head and agree in principle and agree in word with what they had to say, but they would choose death each time. They would choose other gods, and they would choose to be under the condemnation of Yahweh. Do you guys get a little taste of what my calling is? It's a call to failure in some sense. Oh, I understand that from of old, virtually all prophets had a similar calling, and the response of their kinsmen rarely was positive, let alone successful. Although it's still a difficult pill to swallow, I have joy as I know that Yahweh will have his way. I'm reminded daily of this promise as I remember my, name, my son's name, A remnant shall return. Yahweh's call and his choice of this people is not and will not be in vain. So now that you know a bit of my personal history, may I share a brief glimpse of the people of my heritage. Now frequently, Yahweh uses word pictures and analogies to help Israel understand who he is his characteristics, his emotions, his anger, and his frustration. And the following example is that of a husbandman or a vine dresser. The husbandman, or Yahweh, carefully selected a plot of land. And he paid attention to it where it was in relationship to the sun, to valleys, to mountains. He understood and provided fertile soil for these vines, as well as irrigation, so that he provided a healthy, whole environment for these vines to be able to grow and flourish. 
He built arbors so that they could grow and spread and expand and feel the sun's warmth. He daily removed weeds that would choke out the vines, stealing their valuable nutrition. He also protected them with hedges so that animals couldn't come and steal the fruit off the vines or eat and chew through the roots or the vines themselves, which would render them impotent for producing more fruit. He also understood that the vines might not produce valuable fruit for a season or two, and so he was extremely patient. But after patiently waiting for a number of seasons, his patience wore thin. The crop, in disregard for the master's care, did not produce any worthwhile fruit, but puny, tasteless berries that were good for nothing. That is my Jerusalem, the people that I share a heritage with. Although I'm fully aware of my nation's disregard for the Creator, I know that Yahweh rules over circumstances and not the other way around. Even if my preaching appears in vain at this present time, he will have his people, and there will be a people who bear fruit worthy of the king, worthy of the husbandman. As a nation that is so rich of a heritage of our patriarchal foundation, they should know better than to frustrate the grace of God. We have numerous examples of God's watering of us, his tender shoots, from Moses' deliverance of the nation from Egypt's bondage and enslavement to the supply of water and manna that Yahweh gave in the desert to his protection from the ravenous enemies that we would call the Assyrians or the Babylonians. We have constantly seen his care and his loving hand for us, his vineyard. Even now, the Assyrian king Sennacherib and his army encamps at the doorstep. Why? Because once again, we have gone the way of a prostitute, giving ourselves over to other gods, our affections, our loyalties, and our longings. The fruit that we have produced is unfit for the creator of the universe. King Sennacherib's leaders speak arrogant boasts of imminent destruction, but King Hezekiah told us not to listen to their words as our God, Yahweh, is greater than their threats. In addition to these boastings were the inadequacies of our nation, the lack of military personnel, as well as the deficiency of resources compounded our fears. My king came to me with a letter written from the leaders of the Assyrian army that demanded our country surrender. But I sought the Lord on Hezekiah's behalf, and Yahweh told us, do not fear that he would deliver us. And he did. I had a respite from sorrow in Judah that night as I marveled at Yahweh's magnificence. This undefeated army with their arrogant threats against the Holy One of Israel became insignificant as Yahweh provided deliverance yet once again. Now I'm ending 
or I'm nearing the end of my life now, and as I ponder all the thoughts and words that I've heard from Yahweh, I have an inward hope, a confidence that Yahweh has a plan. It is not only a current plan, but it's a plan for the future. And in that is my joy. Yahweh has over my lifetime given me a number of personifications of this coming deliverer. These word pictures assist my people in understanding the nature of this future man. Words like cornerstone, branch, the root of Jesse, light, king, a child, counselor, prince of peace. They all point to one who is coming. I can rest assured my people will not forever be without hope. I have joy even when the people of Jerusalem rebel over and over against Yahweh. You might ask me why. How is joy possible? Hear me clearly. It is because I have done the will of him who called me. And in that obedience, there is joy. A joy of assurance that I have fulfilled my creator's desire. He called, and I answered. He enabled. He provided and strengthened me. My obedience to his calling is not dependent on the people's response to my correction, nor are my emotions subject to the circumstances I find myself in. Of this I am confident. God has a remnant. God has a plan for Israel, for this earth, and it will come to pass. God has a plan for every man woman, and child. I ask you a question. Are you willing to say as I did, here I am, send me. And then, follow through and go regardless of what he asks of you. That's the question of the day. My heart is steadfast, particularly when I ponder a recent word about the coming Redeemer that I've received from Yahweh. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, 
to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I now have a few observations as we reflect on Isaiah's words spoken about the Christ. Although this prophecy is about Jesus, we who are believers and are his offspring have that same spirit living in us. And by that same spirit, as we bring the hope of the gospel, the captives will be set free the prisoners will have their chains loosed. Detroit is in bondage. It's in darkness still, even though the light has come. And as I ponder verse 3 of Isaiah 61, it talks about oaks or trees of righteousness planted by the Lord that he may be glorified. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before. There's a number of examples used in the scriptures talking about cedars. And you guys are probably pretty familiar with the mustard tree uh, that is talked about in the Gospels. And most um, theologians would would discuss that those tree is is an aspect of Israel that's going to blossom to include Gentiles. Remember about the mustard tree, the other birds come and they land in this tree and they're able to take refuge In my mind, there's two aspects to this oaks of righteousness that I'd like to discuss briefly. One is what I just mentioned, that Israel is not going to be alone in the salvation of the Lord. We're partakers as Gentiles in the branches of what Yahweh has provided. You and I have opportunity to participate in the salvation that he's provided. The other thing that I would exhort you about is that as individuals... I believe very clearly that you and I can be oaks of righteousness. That our neighbors, upon seeing the redemption that's happened in our lives, and have seen weak, puny, helpless, foolish enemies of God become redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they have hope. They have hope. And they're able to look at us as trophies of God's grace, as trees and oaks of righteousness, and as we, in essence, spread out our arms, knock on our neighbor's doors, share the gospel, have backpack outreaches, as we walk this community, as we move in and live here and participate in this community, you and I are oaks of righteousness that others can gain a knowledge and an understanding of the Holy One. Are you up for the task? So may I commend you, going back to the question that was answered when I first started, that the joy that was set before Jesus that we read about in Hebrews was very simply to do the will of the Father. That is why he came, regardless of whether or not his enemies would receive him. Isaiah's joy 
was in the same manner, even though his calling included the note of assured failure from Yahweh. I said earlier that this gift of the Holy Spirit and with this fruit included was potentially incorruptible. Because it's a seed, a gift from God, it's incorruptible. But you and I have choices. And this is where, in my mind, it comes in. Choices to obey or disobey. Choices to choose joy regardless of if victory is even possible. Why? Because we have the eternal picture that God has already won the victory. And we who are in Christ partake of that victory. Maybe not on this earth, but surely in heaven when we meet him face to face. One last question. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Will you say that? And will you obey regardless of what the circumstances hold for you? Would you guys bow your heads? Lord, we are grateful that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, chose and endured the cross, despising the shame, because it was your will that he do so. Lord, I pray for the congregation. Would I just ask you, soften our hearts, that we would hear your voice. we would tell you that we'll go and that with action we would set our hands to the plow and not turn back. Lord, we know we can't do it apart from you, but we do know that in you we can do all things through you who strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.